How is everybody? Good, good. Those of us that are not sick, right? At least hopefully, hopefully not sick. Um, glad you guys are here. We just finished up the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've never been here before, what we normally do and where I am the most comfortable is teaching whole books of the Bible. And um, we just spent, I don't know, four months or however long it was working through an Old Testament book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it worked out to where uh, we had one week this week um, open before we do our Advent services. We'll do our Advent services next week. And we got together and talked about me, Josh, and Dave. Those are the two other pastors that do the other campuses. And talked about what are we doing this, this, this spare week. And it just made a lot of sense that we would teach just kind of a simple, uh, uh, straightforward, and, and let me go ahead and clarify. We're not gonna be able to clarify everything of who Jesus Christ is. There's just not enough time today. There might not be enough time in a lifetime to clarify everything Jesus is. But we talked about today that because this time of the year, maybe there's so much confusion about what this time of the year is really about. There's so much confusion about who Jesus is. And we kind of have this skewed idea of who Jesus is that we would do kind of a, 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 a one-time lesson, we'll do it, and just talk about the difference between what is the biblical Jesus and maybe what is the Jesus that we've kind of manufactured or concocted in our minds. So here's what we're gonna do today. Again, I'm gonna scratch the surface. I, I purposefully put that on there because I knew that someone would send me an email and Corey, you missed this. I'm gonna miss a lot today, I'm just letting you know. I just don't have enough time. I'm gonna teach for about 45 minutes and there's no way I can cover everything about the biblical Jesus Christ, but I'm, I'm gonna scratch the surface, okay? But we're gonna talk about the difference between, again, maybe who we think Jesus is versus what the word of God says about Jesus Christ. We're gonna just, just briefly hit on that today. Now, just to let you know, here's what we're gonna do. We'll, we'll do this this weekend. Um, we'll do Advent next weekend. We're gonna do three weeks of the book of Malachi, which is the very last book of the Old Testament. And the reason why that's important is, is it sets up the New Testament. And we'll go into the book of Matthew and we'll hang out in Matthew for, I don't know, a long time, right? So we'll be in Matthew for a long time and, um, and go through the gospel about Jesus Christ, okay? So when you walked in today, you should have got a notes handout. Has everything I'm gonna say in there. Um, everything will be on the screens. Usually we would be in a book of the Bible, so I'd tell you to turn there, but since we're not really doing that and we'll be throwing a lot of scripture and scripture references out today, it just may be more helpful to use the app and follow along on the Experience Community app that may be a little bit easier for you. Then you can go back and look up some of those scripture on your own time. Um, but we'll get back to the verse-by-verse uh, uh, -verse teaching here in a couple of weeks, okay? And that's where I'm most comfortable. So be gracious with me today. This is out of my comfort zone. I don't, I don't really enjoy teaching like this. It's hard for me. It's difficult for me. I, I do a lot better when I just lean on God's word and let him do all the work, right? So uh, because I actually had to use my brain a little bit more this week, it's probably not as, as good as it normally would be. So... <laughs> Forgive me, be gracious with me on that, all right? Also, that last song always makes me a nervous wreck, and if Jamerson would learn to sing, it would really make me a wreck, but, uh, but <laughs> no, um, that song just tears me up. I absolutely love it, so let me pray. We'll dive into this, and um, hopefully you'll leave here a little bit more knowledgeable about who Jesus is, all right? Let me pray. Lord, we love you. God, I love this church so much, Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray today that if anyone has come into this room and maybe they've been confused or, or ignorant about who you are, maybe, God, we've thought you're something that you're not. 
I pray, Lord, that you just show us some truth today from your word. I pray that you direct us, Lord, bring us closer to you. God, I pray that you keep your hand on this church, not just this church, Father. We pray for every church in our city. <clears throat> we pray for all the great nonprofits that we work with in our city, God, especially Salvation Army that we're working with this month. Pray for all the churches we work with all over the country and outside of the country. And God, just pray that uh, you show us grace today and show us mercy, Lord, and keep your hand on me as I teach. And we pray that everything we talk about today, God, that it honors you and that it lifts us up and sharpens us, God. We thank you, we love you, and we pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you research history, there's actually quite a bit of historical evidence that there was a man named Jesus Christ, okay? So if you go back, if you wanna geek out a little bit, study some Roman history, which I actually think is pretty fascinating, there were several very prominent Roman historians that wrote about Jesus. So the documentation of a guy named Jesus that lived some 2,000 years ago is, is pretty available. Um, one of the most famous ones was a guy named Tacitus. He was a Roman historian. He wrote about uh, one of the governors of Rome, Pontius Pilate, who had executed a Jew named Jesus. He wrote this in his annals around 116 AD, so about 80 years after Jesus was crucified. Another Roman historian was a guy named Suetonius. Um, also, a little bit before that, I think he died about 100 AD. I might be off on that by a decade or two. But another historian who wrote about an uprising of a bunch of Jews that followed a man named Jesus. And then probably the most famous of historians that wrote about Jesus, and none of these men were Christians, by the way, was a Jewish Roman historian whose name was Flavius Josephus. And he's probably the most common historian. And he wrote in his book, The Antiquities, not only that there was a man, Jesus, not only that Pontius Pilate had him executed, but he wrote in detail that he was executed by crucifixion. So there's some pretty substantial evidence, historically, that a man named Jesus existed. And not only did he exist, or at least history points towards that, right? That this man made, made quite a mark on, on humanity, quite a mark on civilization. Up until just about 20 years ago, we defined time as before Christ, BC, and then after Christ, AD, which means in the year of our Lord. So we would, we would say 2019, the year of our Lord. Um, most people don't use that terminology anymore. I, I still do, because I'm a Christian. But most scientists and most historians, they don't use that. They use BCE and CE, which means the common era which is trying to take the divinity of Jesus out of the history of time, and it's trying to say that, well, the Christian era started around this influential man named Jesus, but they wanna take the divinity part out of that. Well, even if you try to remove the divinity part out of that, you still have to acknowledge that this Jesus character was a pretty big deal, right? He made a pretty big impact. So not only do we see the impact of Jesus, in the last 20 years in the United States and around the, around the rest of the world is we're starting to see a dramatic shift around who we think Jesus was. So not do we call him Lord anymore. Uh, we just say, well, there was an influential man that lived. So we're seeing a cultural shift away from believing that Jesus is God. We'll get to that later. So both logic and faith are a part of the Christian experience. What I mean by that is this. There is some pretty substantial historical evidence that Jesus existed. There is no archaeological evidence that Jesus existed. What I, mean is, what I mean is we don't have anything that he wore. I know people, well, the shroud, 
There, there, a lot of people think that we, we might have some stuff, but there is no cross that's in a museum. There is no uh, bones of Jesus Christ. It's because he was resurrected, but there's no archaeological evidence that he existed. But to be fair, there's no real archaeological evidence that Julius Caesar existed either. And so when you look, it's very hard to pinpoint an individual. There's no archaeological evidence of Plato or Socrates or a lot of other people from that time period and before, but there is historical documentation. And now, one of the reasons why I think we don't have a cross in a museum or we don't have some kind of thing that definitively proves is because there has to be a faith component in it. And so with Christianity, yes, there is some evidence, physical evidence, tangible historical evidence, but there has to be a faith component in there as well. But you and I, most of us in this room, who might identify as Christians, and I know everyone in this room probably is not, we think that Jesus is more than just a historical figure, an influential man at the turn of the millennium 2,000 years ago. We believe it was more than that. But there's a lot of distorted views on who we think this is. Now, Christians say Jesus Christ, not just when we're about to hit an embankment on 24, right? We say Jesus Christ, and we call him the Messiah. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm the only one that does that, right? But we call Jesus our Messiah, and we use this word a lot, and we often don't really know what that word means. Messiah simply means a savior, someone that is sent to a particular group of people or humanity in general to save them. That's Messiah. And then when we call Jesus Christ, that means our particular promised Messiah, our savior. It's also a title. It's not just what he is. It's we, we call him this, Jesus Christ. It's his name. Okay? So just to kind of clarify what those two titles mean or those two definitions mean. So everyone has had, since civilization has existed, everyone has had some kind of a view of a Messiah or a hope of a Messiah. If you go back to the Babylonian Empire, their Messiah was Marduk. If you go into the Egyptians, it was Osiris and Horus. If you go back into the Persian Empire, it was Mazda. I guess you guys didn't know that your car was evil, did you? It was Mazda, was the Messiah of the Persians. And honey, we gotta sell the car. The Greeks had their gods. The Romans had their gods, these manufactured gods. And even the Jews that believed in the true God had a very warped, distorted view of who the Messiah would be. They thought the Messiah would be a rich, powerful king that would come in and he would be political and he would kick the Caesar off of his throne and knock down the Roman Empire. And they had this very selfish perception. They just saw the Messiah as, as what they could gain from him coming, right? And he was going to make us rich and prosperous. And what we tend to do and what every single civilization has always done is we try to fashion a God that suits our interests. We have these very selfish desires, so we kind of manufacture a God, we manufacture a savior that kind of looks like an inflated version of us. That's what we do. Now, we do this in the United States. Now, people always get hyper offended when I take shots at the United States. Listen, I love living in the United States. We live in the greatest country on planet Earth. We, we do. It's a wonderful, free, prosperous land but because we live here, I think we have to talk about us and we have to talk about our culture. And in the United States, Christianity has taken a very dangerous turn and we've kind of concocted our different variations of who Jesus is. We have the angry Jesus, not so much anymore. 
But in the 18th and 19th century in the United States, Jesus was really, really angry. He was ticked off. One of the most famous sermons given by a guy named Jonathan Edwards was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? Where he gives this perception of of people walking on this tightrope and these flames are all around us. And every time we make a mistake, Jesus thumps us off the tightrope and there we are in hell, right? This very angry Jesus. We have kind of this Mr. Rogers Jesus, right? Kind of this wuss that... Mr. Rogers wasn't a wuss, but he was a great man. Oh, boy. Don't say that at the 11, huh? Tomatoes and... But we have this idea of Jesus that he kind of puts on a cardigan and some white kids and just kind of likes to put his arm around us and just a really nice guy. We've made Jesus very political in our time. Well, if Jesus was here, he'd be a Democrat. Well, if Jesus was here, he'd be a Republican. Guys, I hate to break it to you. Jesus' kingdom is far above the United States and our political system. But we try to politicize Jesus. We use Jesus as a political pawn, right? Vote Republican because Jesus loves us and vote Democrat because Jesus has a heart. And we do all these different things to kind of make him a a pawn in our political uh, uh, schemes. We've created this very indifferent hippie Jesus, this kind of Rastafarian, herbal tea drinking, weed smoking Jesus, right? (laughs) Well, Jesus created weed. We should smoke it and rub it on our body. Jesus created poison ivy. I don't suggest that you roll that up and smoke it and rub it on your body. But this is the, this is the Jesus that we've concocted in our minds. We kind of have this Santa Claus magic genie Jesus. It's a real famous pastor in Northern California that a lot of you guys read for some crazy reason. And his daughter said that she sees Jesus as a genie in a lamp, just there to do her bidding, right? You can YouTube that, look it up. But that's what we've concocted, this kind of Santa Claus Jesus. We've concocted this mystic New Age Jesus, right? And most of us, not most of us, but most of society, just thinks Jesus was just a good dude. Just a really nice guy, right? Loved people a lot. You know, was a good example. He was the closest to God of all humans, but a really, really good dude. Now, there's a lot of problem with these manufactured versions of Jesus that we have. Because we can't have it both ways. We can't have what this book says about Jesus and our manufactured Jesus. The two don't blend. I'm ripping this off of C.S. Lewis, but he said, Jesus can only be one of three things. He can either be bat crap crazy because he walked around telling everyone he was God. He was a pathological liar and a cult leader because he went around telling everyone he was God and he healed people. Or the third alternative is Jesus is everything that he said he was but we can't have it both ways. See, here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible leaves no wiggle room for Jesus's identity. It tells us very, very clear who he is. Now, what the Bible pushes us to do is it pushes us to have to decide. This is what the Bible says about him. We either take that or we leave that. So we have to ask, if we claim to be Christians, do we know the real Jesus? Many self-proclaimed Christians really have very little idea of the biblical Christ because very few Christians read the Bible. And that gets us into a lot of trouble. So I hear Christians say all the time, well, I don't think Jesus would do that. Well, hold on a second. Show me in this book why you don't think Jesus would get mad. I can show you where he fashioned a whip and ran a lot of people out of the temple. Show me where Jesus doesn't get mad. Show me where Jesus would or wouldn't do these things. We have to go to this. And we often forget 
that we as humanity are made in the image of God and we do not have the power to make God in our image. So do we know the real Jesus? And this has been a problem that's been going on ever since Jesus walked on the earth. There were several times where Jesus would be teaching and he would start off with thousands and thousands of people and by the time he was done, everyone would have walked away except for his 12 disciples. And there was one time he looked at Peter and he said, hey, Peter, who do people say that I am? Well, some people think you're this person or that person or some people you're, you know, think you're this or that. Or... And then he looked at Peter and he said, who do you think I am? Now that question is extremely important and it's one that all of us need to ask ourselves. Who do we think Jesus is? The reason why that question is so important is what we believe about Jesus matters and here's why. If we have a false Jesus, we get a false gospel. And if we have a false gospel, we have a false hope. It is only the true gospel that saves and reconciles us with the creator. Any other gospel is not of Jesus, therefore it is rendered powerless. So we have to be following the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus. So let's get to that a little bit. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Now again, I do not have the time to go through this entire book and tell you all the things that it says. But what I want to make the point of is that the Bible is all about Jesus. As a Christian, the word has to be our anchor. This has to be our anchor. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this must be the, the most important piece of literature that you ever put your hands on. If we claim to be Christians, the Bible must be where we get our thoughts on Jesus. Despite what culture says, despite what our feelings say, the Bible and the identity of who Jesus is cannot be separated. Well, Corey, I love Jesus, but I don't like what it says in this chapter. We cannot do that. We must educate ourselves on who the biblical Jesus is, and then we must ask ourselves, do we want to follow that, or do we want to reject that? There is no middle ground. Now, let me tell you how important the Word of God is to Jesus and their relation. It says this in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, here's the pivotal point. And then the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We observed His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, here's why that is vitally important. There's a huge movement right now amongst quote-unquote Christians called red-letter Christians. Now, what that means is, is if it's not written in red, if it doesn't say it in red, which means it's directly from the mouth of Jesus, we can't take it as being about or from Jesus. So even amongst the most self-proclaimed Christians, there is this dramatic distortion of who Jesus Christ is. Now, of course, I believe the red letters, but if we believe the word became flesh, this entire book is the mind of Jesus. The entire book. And a true Christian believes that Jesus is God incarnate and God became flesh and God and his word are inseparable. So this entire book tells us the mind of God, the nature of God, and the relationship of Jesus Christ to humanity, the entire book, not just the red letters, all of it. So we have to take this thing in its entirety. 
But let's play devil's advocate for a second. Let's, let's, let's kind of humor maybe red letter Christians a little bit and let's go straight to the red letters. Okay, let's do that for a second. I'm gonna take three quotes directly from Jesus himself that are highly countercultural. The first one I'm gonna take is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. That is in red letters in your Bible if you have a red letter edition Bible. What that means is this. Jesus is not a universalist. Not every single pathway leads to heaven. If we're just good people in our eyes, it doesn't matter what we believe, that is not supported by Jesus Christ. He was extremely clear there is one pathway to heaven, and it's me. That's what he said. Now, that's uncomfortable. It's countercultural. It hurts feelings. It is a very divisive statement, but it came straight from the mouth of God himself. And we have to take that into account, and we have to ponder that and think about it. And if we're truly Christians, we have to believe it. There is one pathway to an eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. The second thing he said is he said that the truth that he brings will be divisive. Not divisive like gossip and slander, but it will draw a definitive line of what is right and what is wrong. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. That doesn't mean that Jesus is is trying to conquer, that doesn't mean that he's trying to fight, that doesn't mean that God loves war, that's not what that means. What he meant by that is, His message, his teaching, his nature, his identity would cause humanity to either be on one side or the other side. Jesus even said, you're either for me or you are against me. We do not like to talk about absolutes. We live in a culture right now that is called relativistic, which means it's relative. Truth is relative. If that works for you, great, but it doesn't work for me. So you do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I came to draw a line in the sand. This is right. This is wrong. And there's nowhere in between. And so this is a very divisive thing to say. It's something that's not popular. Straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. The last thing that I'm going to bring up that Jesus said, that may be the most important. These are the words that got Jesus crucified. As Jesus was brought in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, he was arrested at night, which was illegal, by the way. He was brought in in front of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin grilled him and asked him questions and made crazy accusations and said he was demon-possessed and all kinds of stuff that was ludicrous. And it says in the Gospels that Jesus remained silent. A good lesson when people criticize us and say false things, by the way. Jesus just remained silent and he remained calm. And the only time he spoke up is when they asked him about his identity. And he said to the Jewish council, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And those two simple words, I am, are the reason why they nailed Jesus Christ to a cross. Jesus wasn't only saying that he was a prophet or the prophesied Messiah. Jesus in that moment was saying, you are looking at God. He was simply stating, if he was simply stating that he lived before Abraham, he would have said before Abraham, I was, but he was saying, I am. And those words were a quote from Exodus chapter three. In Exodus chapter three, 
Moses stood in front of a burning bush, and as he was about to leave to go do what this burning bush, that's a lot of trust, by the way, to go back and do what this burning bush told him to do, he said, who may I say sent me? And the bush, which was God, said, tell them I am sent you. So when Jesus stood in front of the council and said, I am, that's when they ripped their clothes and they lost their minds because Jesus just claimed to be God in the flesh. He says he's the only way that his word is going to be divisive and that he is God, the creator of all things. So let's say for argument's sake, everyone in the room right now says, okay, we're on board. I want to have a relationship with not the Jesus that I've concocted in my mind, but the biblical Jesus. And I know I've just scratched the surface. What should we expect out of the biblical Jesus? Let me run through a couple of things. The first couple you're gonna like, there's a couple at the end that maybe you won't like so much. The first thing that we should expect out of the biblical Jesus is love. When I say love, we don't, we don't really know what that word means anymore in our culture, right? We fall in and out of love and we say we love hot dogs and Facebook, right? I love Netflix. Do you love it? Really? Love it? And so we don't know what love means, but when we get into a relationship with Jesus, we should expect pure love. It says in the Bible that God loves us so much that he sent his only son that died for us, even when we were at our worst. When you were cheating on your husband, Jesus knew you were gonna do it and he died for you. When we were lying on our taxes, when we were addicted to porn or alcohol, whatever we were in, whatever state we were in, Jesus loved us so much that he came and died for us. And not only that, his love for us is not contingent on what we do or don't do. His love for me is not contingent on my performance. If I blow it today, if I do something crazy and this church falls apart, God still loves me. God still runs after me. He still pursues me. It's a love that is incomprehensible for our human minds. He loves us. We should expect that. From that love, we receive the grace of God. That God is quick to forgive. He's quick to give things to us. He's quick to restore us. He knows that we're gonna make mistakes. He knows that we're not gonna be perfect until he comes back for us. So as I said a couple of weeks ago, he gives us grace upon grace. He loves us. The Bible even says that mercy triumphs over judgment, that God gives us love and God gives us grace from that love. We're saved by that grace. And that leads us to the next thing that we should expect. When we know the biblical Jesus, we are saved. The, the, the Bible alludes to this term justification. It's a very churchy word, but it's, it's pretty simple. All that means is first and foremost, Jesus Christ came for the souls of mankind. There's a lot of other benefits to being a Christian, but first and foremost, he saves our souls. And because Jesus died on the cross, it justifies us in front of God the Father. If you want to think of it in very, very simple terms, it's like we stand in front of a judge and we know that we're guilty, right? We have not done enough to be forgiven. But because Jesus loves us and died for us on the cross, he vouches for us. He stands in front of, of us and says, I can vouch for Corey. So instead of the judge seeing all my faults and failures, all he sees is Jesus. And we are justified and we can be in the presence of God forever and ever. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. Amen. Humanity is incapable of saving themselves. We need the payment that Jesus made by his blood 
on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and we should expect that. Not that we've earned it, not that we're entitled, but because God loves us, he wants to save us. Here's where it gets a little bit harder. When we know the biblical Jesus, we should also expect change. That when we come into a relationship with him, we do not stay the same. That is called sanctification. What happens is, is when we come into a relationship with him, we don't stay the same. Not only do we not stay the same, God uses us. He sets us apart. That's what sanctification means. He sets us apart to do things with us. When we give our lives to him, we truly live repentant. The definition for repentance is to change the way we think and act. That's only possible by the grace and the power of God in our lives, but we change. We're not the same as what we used to be. And guys, if you call yourself a Christian but you haven't changed, something's off, something's not right. Because with a relationship with Jesus, we change. We're also held accountable. This is the stuff we don't like. This is the stuff we don't like to talk about. But because we've been saved, because we've been changed, we are held to a higher standard by God. Amen. When God redeems us, when God restores us, when God forgives us, God calls us to take a step up. The Bible says we are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. That doesn't mean we look down on people, but when we've been adopted by the king of kings, we need to start living like princes, princesses. We need to start living like we have royal blood in our veins. Again, that doesn't mean we look down on people, but it means that we walk a little bit straighter. We follow the rules that God has told us to follow. We do the things that he tells us to do. Jesus says in the book of John, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He calls us to a higher standard and he holds us accountable. The Bible says to know right and to not do it is a sin. Amen. So we are held accountable for the things we do and for the things we may not do. We also need to expect freedom with the biblical Jesus. So the cross sets us free from the bondage of sin. And when we're free from sin, we're free from shame and we're free from guilt. We find fulfillment in Jesus, contentment in Jesus. It is not God's design for us to be slaves to sin. Romans chapter six tells us that. We're no longer in slavery to how we used to be. The Bible says the old self has been crucified. That we are no longer slaves to the dominion of sin. That we are no longer slaves to hopelessness and helplessness and utter despair and anxiety and fear. We are not slaves to those things. And I think the reason why so many of you live in those areas of hopelessness and fear and depression and anxiety and, and all is because we don't expect that God can deliver us from those things. That always hurts people's feelings when I say that. I don't think we believe that God delivers the way that he can deliver. How many of us come into a relationship with God and we remain in our shackles and in our chains and that is not God's design for us? Amen. Bible even says we're more than overcomers, right? We don't just maintain. We do more than maintain. This is a hard truth, but if you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the real Jesus, there's gonna be persecution and there's gonna be external hatred. Well, Corey, why would you say that? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said, don't be surprised when people hate you because they've hated me first. They will hate the Jesus in you. With following Jesus comes spiritual oppression and societal oppression. And having a relationship with Jesus, the devil's gonna be coming for your marriage, for your family. 
He's going to be coming for your kids. He's going to be coming for you. The Bible says we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against evil forces that are all around us. That's why the Christian has to pray. Because there's a battle going on. And when we have a target on our back, when we take on the name of Christ, the devil notices. Hell notices. And society notices. If you live and speak the principles that are in this book, there are going to be people that hate you. And we often hope as Christians that one day everyone's just going to accept who we are. And Jesus Christ said that the world will never accept who you are. In fact, the Bible says that if the world does accept who you are, there's probably an issue. It probably means you're of the world and not of him. So we keep expecting to be popular one day, and it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. We should also expect the Holy Spirit. You know, in, in, in the next couple of weeks and all this month, right, we talk about a baby boy that was born in a manger. But that boy grew up. He was crucified. He raised again from the grave after three days. And it says he ascended into heaven in body, but he sent his Holy Spirit to be with his followers. And that Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts that help us. It produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. His Holy Spirit counsels us and comforts us and enables us to be the best we can be. No longer does the Spirit of God dwell in a building, but the Bible says that we are now the temple, right? That we have been bought with a price. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we do not belong to ourselves anymore. We can expect when we come into a relationship with the real Christ that we are not alone. We have his spirit with us, helping us. But we continue to create a Jesus that is not the true Jesus. The manufactured Jesus, the American Jesus, we try to make him political. We try to make him indifferent to sin. Well, Jesus loves me. He shows me grace. He doesn't care that I do this thing over here. That is not biblically supported. We believe that Jesus constantly gives but doesn't hold us accountable. Again, not biblically supported. We've created this universalist Jesus in the United States. We've created a Jesus that loves us but never judges us. These are for people who've never read the book of Revelation. He loves us, but he never judges us. But what we do is whatever fits our personal desires, whatever is best for us, that's the Jesus we create. Now, let me show you the problem with this manufactured Jesus. This Jesus cannot save us because all it is is an inflated version of us. And humanity has never been able to save themselves. But we continue to create this manufactured Jesus, right? This Santa Claus, hippie, universalist Jesus. And that Jesus has no power because it's just our understanding. It's leaning on to what we know and what we know has never saved us. It has to be something beyond us. It has to be the biblical Jesus Christ. The biblical Jesus Christ defines what is right and defines what is wrong. D despite what I feel, despite what society and television tells me, Jesus is the one who defines this is right and this is wrong. Jesus loves me, but he gives me the choice to love him back. He loves me regardless of what I've done or haven't done, regardless of the mistakes I've made, regardless of my rebellion, whatever the case may be. He loves me, but he gives me the choice to love him back. And when I love him back, 
when I accept him into my life, when I reciprocate everything he's done for me, that, that love he's had for me, that's when salvation takes place. That's the biblical Jesus. Jesus and his word have to be taken in its entirety. We have to take this word for everything that it says it is. Of course, we have to read it in context. We have to put some work into this, but we cannot separate Jesus from this book. It is impossible. And listen, Jesus Christ has not changed just because the culture in the United States has in the last 50 years. Amen. He is still the same. He was the same before he spoke this universe into existence. He's the same right now and he will be the same forever. Jesus never changes. His word never changes. It is still valid and alive and applicable today. Following the true biblical Jesus will cost you. It's pretty sobering when Jesus himself says, pick up your cross. Now, that doesn't mean much to us nowadays, right? We don't have people hanging out uh, uh, on pieces of wood in public areas, right? We don't, we don't have that. But in Jesus' time, when he looked at his disciples and he said, you're gonna have to pick up your cross too. It's gonna cost us. There's gonna be change involved. Now, I believe that's gonna be fulfilling. I believe it's gonna be wonderful. But we have to give Jesus everything. There's no 80-20 relationship with Jesus. There's no 90-10, there's no 99-1. Jesus has to have dominion over all of us. We have to relinquish all of ourselves to him. But if we will do that, we will find contentment. We will find fulfillment. We will find hope and purpose. And we have the promise of an eternity with him forever. We can never outgive Christ. If we give him everything we have, he's gonna give us so much more. We can't even fathom it right now. But we have to let him have everything. Everything, Corey, everything. You gotta give it all to him. You gotta trust him with every corner of your life. We have to believe that Jesus was not just a good guy. He wasn't just a prophet or someone that was really close to God. He's God. He chose to take on flesh, to live the perfect example. He taught us how to glorify and live for God. He willingly shed his blood on the cross so our evil could be forgiven, so we could be reconciled with our creator. He's not just a swell guy. He was Jesus in the flesh. He walked around. He touched people. He spoke to people. He taught us how to live. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and brought us his Holy Spirit. And his truth, guys, the words in this book, what he has said to us, what he has showed us, that truth sets us free. It liberates us. And the Holy Spirit that we need to be praying, God, fill me with that. That Holy Spirit empowers us. It gives us knowledge and wisdom and discernment. It is the comforter, the counselor, the prince of peace that we read about now resides in us. That's how we find peace. That's how we find solace. That's how we get the answers we need is his word and his spirit that lives in us. And I say that we make it until he returns, but we do much more than make it. We thrive and we prosper and we succeed in the way that God wants us to succeed in this life until he comes back. What is the point of all this? A little over, I'm sorry, a little under 2,000 years ago, humanity missed it. Listen, because humanity was expecting a political messiah, 
because they were expecting a decadent, attractive, dressed in the finest clothes Messiah. Because they expected a warring, conquering Messiah. Because they didn't read the word of God and pay attention to what it says. Because they didn't tap into the spirit of God. Even when God came to earth and walked around, they missed it. How many of us in this room, because we're looking for a selfish Messiah, because we're thinking about ourselves, because we're trying to concoct some God that fits what we want, how many of us in this room have missed the real Jesus? This month, how many people will miss the real Jesus? We talk about a cute boy that's born in a manger. It's almost become like a folklore, hasn't it? This cute story that we read our kids once a year. And we forget the fact that that little boy grew up to be a man. That that man was falsely accused and spat upon. That that man was not just a man, but he was also fully God. Knowing all the sins of humanity. And he willingly got nailed to a cross knowing that we would be ugly and that we would do awful things and that we would stab him in the back a million times over and that little boy grew up and died for my sins. And he resurrected and he sends us his Holy Spirit. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, when we talk about Christ this time of year, it's not just a cute story about a baby that was born under oppressive circumstances. God came to earth. Amen. And the Holy Spirit of God is available for us today. Amen. It's amazing when you think about it. Here's what I pray for all of you in this room. I pray that this month you have a wonderful time with your family. I pray that you eat too much food and laugh and sing songs. I, I pray that you give a lot of gifts and I pray that you get a lot of cool gifts and I pray that you just have the best time. But what I pray the most is this, do not forget what this time of year means. Do not forget what that little baby boy in the manger is. It is God in flesh, the savior of mankind. All things were created through him and by him. Not one thing that was created was missed by him. He did it all. That's who that little baby boy is. Please don't forget that this season. Did you bow your heads with me? Listen, if you are in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ... I don't want you to feel awkward. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Pastor Mike is up here on my right, your left. He's at the corner of the stage. If you have any questions, listen, you're not gonna hurt anyone's feelings. You're not gonna, you're not gonna throw Mike off, any of that. If you have any questions about Jesus and what it means to be a Christian, please come up here and talk to Mike. He would love to talk with you. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, Listen, I know that some of you struggle this time of year. That's okay. You just need to have some people that, that'll help you. 
people you can lean into that can pray with you. Come up here and get prayer if you need prayer for anything. The last thing is we have communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That little boy that we celebrate this month grew up and he gave his life for us. And that bread and that wine remind us of how much Jesus loves us. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Last thing I'll say before I let you guys go. Again, I pray that you have so much fun this Christmas. Have a blast with your friends and your family and your neighbors or however you celebrate. But take a moment and thank God that he would send his only son that whoever would believe in him will never die but have everlasting life. Just take a minute and remember, meditate, think about it, thank him for that. Lord, we love you, we praise you, God, I love this church. Father, Lord, just let us remember, let us, to the best of our abilities, understand how monumental the birth of your son on earth was. Lord, let us celebrate in that. Let us find peace in that. Let us know you better, God, not what we think you are, but what you are. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Bless my friends in this room until I see them next week. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.